Hello and welcome to the Outpost podcast. We're having a look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians in a series called Sit, Walk, Stand. We hope that you find it helpful. Of a three-part series, uh, which is being called Sit, Walk, Stand. And it is a look into the book of Ephesians. Um, it's taken from um, this very small little book called Sit, Walk, Stand by a guy called Watchman Nee. Uh, and it's something that I found personally quite helpful uh, over the course of this year and wanted to, to share it around a bit. And so we've looked at, as Rachel did so beautifully for us before, what it is to, to sit. Um, and that really is our disposition before the Lord, is that we are seated before Him. Uh, we have nothing to prove. We're not trying to earn his love. We're not trying to earn our salvation. We simply sit and receive the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. And then because it is easy for us um, to get things out of whack in so many different ways, uh, this idea of being seated and even the language of being seated with Christ in the heavens, like it's so out there and it is out there. Um, and it's true. Um, but because it's out there, it's easy for us to think it's just some sort of theory, just some sort of spiritual reality that doesn't have any practical outworking. And that's where the next part comes in of walking. So we sit forever before God so that we can walk continuously before people. And the walking continuously before people is living out the faith in Jesus. And we actually walk worthy of the calling that we have received. So he's called us his very own children, his ambassadors. In other words, when people see us, it's intended that they would get a taste of God. Feeling any pressure, anyone? Well, go back to the first one. We are seated forever before God. And so there's no pressure but there is this privilege, there is this opportunity, but it is actually a responsibility for us to live in a way that gives people an encounter with God as well as a taste of who Jesus is. And we get to do that. And so logically, if I'm thinking about the progression, so it starts with, with sitting and then it goes to walking, surely it's running. Hey, hello? Surely, after 105 kilometres yesterday, you're happy just to go back to sit for today and, uh, and go with that. Um, it would make sense, wouldn't it, if you've gone from sitting to walking, that the next stage would be to run. And so we've talked about what our disposition is towards God, which is to sit, our disposition towards everybody, our brothers and sisters in Christ, but everybody, not just exclusive to fellow Christians, but to everybody, is that we walk out our faith in Jesus. We live worthy of him. The final disposition is towards the enemy, is towards Satan. And we don't run. We don't run away from him. We don't even run towards him. As much of a G up as that would be, we run at Satan. We don't. We don't. So as we read the first three chapters of Ephesians, we see this 
amazing reality that we are not called to do anything in those three chapters. It's all about what he has done and all about who we are as a result of his finished work on the cross. And we've got to keep going back there because it's so easy for us to lose sight of that and start thinking it's about what we do. Keep going back and we actually never stop sitting. You might recall an analogy that I gave that's from this book uh, last week, which says, how do you actually paint the picture? And I think Rachel did an excellent job before um, the, the beanbag to be able to, to be seated. And then it's Jesus that lifts you up to walk. The picture that's given in here is of a wheelchair, or the way he puts it, as a power-driven invalid carriage. Think about that one for a moment. So you go and you have momentum because you are seated. You continue to sit. Your relationship with God is always the same. You are never, ever tipping over in trying to work at something and achieve something before him because we can't. It's only his gift, his grace, and we simply receive that. And so when it comes to this final reality of what it means before the devil, we are called to stand. And Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, gives us that word stand a number of times. And it's an interesting one, and we will unpack why that's in there. But I'm going to start off with a story that appears in here, which is an illustration of taking a stand against the enemy. And it's an interesting story. It's set in China um, close to 100 years ago. And I'm just going to read it. The New Year holiday is a long one, lasting fully 15 days. And besides being a suitable period for a convention, it is also the best time for gospel preaching. Can I get an amen? amen? After seeking the Lord's will, it became clear that he would have us use it for the latter purpose. So I plan to take with me five brothers for a 15-day preaching visit to an island off the south coast of China. At the last moment, another young brother, whom I shall call Brother Wu, joined the party. He was only 16 years of age and had been expelled from school, but he had just lately been born again and there was a marked change in his life. Moreover, he was very eager to come. So after some hesitation, I agreed to take him. This made us seven in all. The island was a fairly large one with a big main village of 6,000 stoves. I'm pretty sure that means 6,000 homes. An old schoolmate of mine was there as a headmaster of the local village school. And I wrote to him in advance asking for a room in which we might lodge during our stay from January 1 to 15. When, however, we arrived late and in darkness, and when he discovered that we had come for gospel preaching, he refused us accommodation. So we sought through the village for somewhere to lodge until eventually a Chinese herbalist had pity on us and took us in, making us quite comfortable on planks and straw in his attic. It was not long before the herbalist became our first convert, but though we laboured systematically and hard, and though we found the people of the village most courteous, we had very little fruit from the island, and we began to wonder why this was. On January 9th, this is over halfway through, there uh, two weeks, we were outside preaching. Brother Wu, remember this 16-year-old that has been expelled from school, with some others was in one part of the village and suddenly asked publicly, why will none of you believe? Someone in the crowd replied at once, we have a God, one God, Ta Wang. 
and he has never failed us. He is an effective God. How do you know that you can trust him? Asked Wu. We have held his festival procession every January for 286 years. The chosen day is revealed by um, divination beforehand and every year without fail, his day is a perfect one without rain or cloud, was the reply. When is the procession this year? It is fixed for January 11 at eight in the morning. Then said Brother Wu impetuously, I promise you that it will certainly rain on the 11th. This is three days time. At once there was an outburst of cries from the crowd. That's enough. We don't want to hear any more preaching. If there is rain on the 11th, then your God is God. I, this is um, Watchman Nee, I was elsewhere in the village when this occurred. As soon as I heard of it, I saw that it was most serious. The news had spread like wildfire, and before long, over 20,000 people would know about it. What were we to do? We stopped our preaching at once and gave ourselves to prayer. We asked the Lord to forgive us if we had overstepped ourselves. I tell you, we were in deadly earnest. What had we done? Had we made a terrible mistake, or dare we ask God for a miracle? The more you want an answer to prayer from God, the more you desire to be clear with Him. There must be no doubt about your fellowship, no shadow between. If your faith were in coincidence, you could afford to have a controversy with him, but not otherwise. We did not mind being thrown out if we had done something wrong. After all, you can't drag God into a thing against his will. But we reflected. This would mean an end to the gospel testimony on the island. And Tawang would, receive, would reign supreme forever. What should we do? Should we leave now? Up to this point, we had feared to pray for rain. Then, like a flash, there came the word to me, where is the God of Elijah? It came with such clarity and power that I knew it was from God. Confidently, I announced to the brothers, I have the answer. The Lord will send rain on the 11th. Together, we thanked him. And then, full of praise, we went out, all seven of us, and told everyone. <laughs> we could accept the devil's challenge in the name of the Lord, and we would broadcast our acceptance. That evening, the herbalist made two very pointed observations. Undoubtedly, he said, Tawang was an effective God. The devil was with that image. Their faith in him was not groundless. Alternatively, if you preferred a rationalistic explanation, he was a whole village of fishermen. For two or three months on end, the men were at sea, and on the 15th, they would be out again. They, of all people, should know by long experience when it would not rain for two or three days ahead. And this disturbed us. As we went to our evening prayer, we all began once more to pray for rain. Now. Then it was that there came to us a stern rebuke from the Lord. Where is the God of Elijah? Were we going to fight our way through this battle? Or were we going to rest in the finished victory of Christ? What had Elisha done when he spoke those words? He had laid claim in his own personal experience to the very miracle that his Lord Elijah, now in glory, had himself performed. In New Testament terms, he had taken his stand by faith on the ground of a finished work. So we confessed our sins again. Lord, we said, we don't need rain until the 11th morning. We went to bed, and the next morning, the 10th, we set off for a neighbouring island for a day's preaching. The Lord was very gracious, and that day three families turned to him, confessing him publicly and burning their idols. We returned late, tired out but rejoicing. 
We could afford to sleep late tomorrow. I was awakened, this is the morning of, I was awakened by the direct rays of the sun through the single window of our attic. This isn't rain. I said, it was already past seven o'clock. Remember, eight o'clock is the time. I got up, knelt down and prayed, Lord, I said, please send the rain. But once again, ringing in my ears came the word, where is the God of Elijah? Humbled, I walked downstairs before God in silence. We sat down to breakfast, eight of us together, including our host, all very quiet. There was no cloud in the sky, but we knew God was committed. As we bowed to say grace before the food, I said, I think the time is up. Rain must come now. We can bring it to the Lord's remembrance. Quietly we did so. And this time the answer came with no hint whatever of rebuke in it. Where is the God of Elijah? Even before our amen, we heard a few drops on the tiles. There was a steady shower as we ate our rice and were served with a second bowl. Let us give thanks again, I said. And now we ask God for heavier rain. As we began on that second bowl of rice, the rain was coming down in bucketfuls. By the time we had finished, the street outside was already deep in water and the three steps at the door of the house were covered. Soon we heard what had happened in the village. Already, at the first drop of rain, a few of the younger generation had begun to say openly, there is God, there is no more to Wayne. He is kept in by the rain. But he wasn't. They carried him out on a sedan chair. Surely he would stop the shower. But then came the downpour. After only some 10 or 12 yards, three of the coolies stumbled and fell. Down went the chair and to Wang with it, fracturing his jaw and his left arm. Still determined, they carried out emergency repairs and put him back in the chair. Somehow, slipping and stumbling, they dragged or carried him halfway around the village. Then the floods defeated them. Some of the village elders, old men of 60 to 80 years, bareheaded and without umbrellas as their faith in Tawang's weather required, had fallen and were in serious difficulties. The procession was stopped and the idol taken into a house. Divination was made. Today was the wrong day, came the answer. The festival is to be on the 14th with a procession at six in the evening. Immediately when we heard this, there came the assurance in our hearts, God will send rain on the 14th. We went to prayer, Lord, send rain on the 14th at 6 p.m. and give us four good days until then. That afternoon, the sky cleared, which is the first good day. And now we had good hearing for the gospel. The Lord gave us over 30 converts, real ones in the village and in the island during those three short days. The 14th broke, another perfect day, and we had good meetings. As the evening approached, we met. And again, at the appointed hour, we quietly brought the matter to the Lord's remembrance. Not a minute late, his answer came with torrential rain and floods as before. Hallelujah, hey? We picked the wrong day. It's actually in three days' time. It didn't matter. That is taking a stand against Satan. That is taking a stand in a communal kind of a way against a deception that had fallen across a whole group of people. And it's massive. And we're called to take those kinds of stands, but also the kinds of stands that are more likely to hit us on a daily basis. The things that might just affect us as well as those that are close to us. 
We're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Uh, we've got some Bibles that are here in the aisle. Uh, if you've got one on your phone, if you've brought a physical Bible with you, then um, yeah, I encourage you to open it up. So Ephesians chapter 6 and starting with verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Apparently God has strength. Read that verse. We can be strengthened by him and by his vast strength. This is not the first time in Ephesians that we have this concept of being strengthened by the Lord. And it's a really helpful one. The title in this Bible here says Christian Warfare. Who has a different title over verse 10? The whole armour of God. Any others? The whole armour of God. And so this is a passage that is talking about our battle or our stand against the enemy. But who is the focus in the first verse? It's the Lord, his strength, and the fact that we can be strengthened by his strength. It doesn't start with talking about Satan's strength. It starts by talking about the Lord's strength. He is so strong that he is able to strengthen us. And like I just said, it's not the first time this idea of being strengthened by the Lord hits us as we read through Ephesians. If we go back to chapter 3, verse 16, did you know that there's other books that have got a chapter 3, verse 16? I'll just, just sort of put it out there. Um, so Ephesians three sixteen, 16, um, one of the most beautiful prayers says, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. Strengthened with power in your inner being. So be, to be strengthened from the inside, not just an external layer. Like we might think of the armour of God as being an external layer that's outside of us. This is telling us that we can be strengthened from within, from the very core of who we are to have strength. And it's interesting as well that the verse doesn't say according to your need, according to the riches of his glory. Wow. He's got a lot of glory. According to the riches of his glory, he strengthens us far beyond any need that we might have. And if we go back to Ephesians chapter 1, another prayer that Paul prays, um, the, the verse that talks about being strengthened is verse 19. We'll look at it briefly, then we'll back up. So verse 19 says, What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength? And in context, it's about us knowing that, being able to see clearly the greatness of his power toward us who believe. So we go back to the start of verse 17 where it says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And so the first thing we want to have this spirit of wisdom and revelation with is knowing God. And revelation is when something goes from being unknown to known. Revelation isn't about something suddenly becoming true. Revelation is about something that we can now see that was already true. 
And in this, a revelation is, I think of it a bit like the revelation I had when I was 15 and playing my first game of men's footy. And I gave a shove to my much bigger, much older opponent. And I can't remember the exact details, but I probably moved further backwards than he did as I went to, to push him. I had a revelation of how much stronger he was than me. And then the outworking of that revelation came shortly afterwards as he flung around like a ragdoll. Um, and then we ended up both getting sent off. Um, but the revelation, he didn't suddenly become stronger than me in that moment. He was already much stronger than me, but I realized as I tried to assert myself over him that it wasn't going to work that way. Uh, revelation, and you might have seen similar things, I think, about different movies where you, know, you have someone that thinks they can land a punch on someone else, and they do land the punch, but it has no consequence on them. And the revelation is, wow, they are far stronger than me. We want to have that same kind of revelation when it comes to the law. We want to understand just how mighty he is. As we read verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know. It's a beautiful poetic way of saying, I pray that you might have revelation. The eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you may know. And he lists off these three things. First two of them are also in verse 18. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. And this is an interesting one because it relates back to what we were talking about two weeks ago of being seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That we would know our calling. The hope of his calling. What he has called you as his son, as his daughter, as a saint, as part of his body, as a beloved child of the living God. That you would know that, that you are seated before him and with him in the heavens. And the second part, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints is really saying that you would know how precious and how valuable your brothers and sisters in Christ are. That you would see the saints around you as truly saints. Yeah, Terry, absolutely, that you would. How good would that be? How fun to be able to, to look in that way. Sorry, that was a bit rough, wasn't it? I just saw you giving your sister a smile. Um, how good to be able to see clearly the value in one another and go, wow. How much easier is it for us to walk out our faith as we see clearly just how precious our brothers and sisters are? We're able to serve, we're able to love, we're able to care for because we see clearly. And then the third one is about the power. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Wow. Wow. The implications of this follow in the next few verses, and we'll read it in a minute. But that we would understand just how powerful he is. So this is all, remember, we, we're doing 10 verses tonight. This is still on the first verse. Aren't you excited? So the first verse is us getting our heads around just how powerful he is. 
The rest of it follows from that place, that we would have revelation of his power, of his glory, of his strength. We don't start by looking at Satan. We don't start by looking at the fruit of his work on the earth. We start by getting a clearer picture of who God is and his mighty power. We start there. It is so important. And let's get some of the implications of his strength. So from verse 20, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet. So the power to raise someone from the dead, that's a lot of power right there. But to take it even further and to bring that one who was raised from the dead up into the heavens at the Father's right hand, far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and have a name above every title given. That's a lot of power. Do I get an amen? amen? This is the kind of power that we're talking about. The power that not only raises Christ from the dead, but the kind of power that puts him far above anything else. So nothing can ever touch him again. Yes, he humbled himself to the point of death, but that is never happening again. He reigns forever. He is the king above all kings. All right, let's head on back to Ephesians chapter 6. So we have an increasingly clear picture of Christ and the strength that he has that he gives to us. So it starts there. Then verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. So chapter 3, verse 16, we are strengthened in our inner being and now we're putting on armor so we have strength in our outer being as well. How good, how complete, how full, how robust is the strength that we have. And so we are able to withstand the schemes of the enemy. You have been designed and created to do so because of what Jesus has done. So there is no temptation that you can face that is too much. There is no persecution that you can face that is too much. And the beauty of this is that it applies to you individually for your life, but also to those around you. We saw the illustration in what I read before um, from Watchman Nee. We saw that this applied in a place he'd never set foot in before. So he was... And the people that were with him stood against the schemes of the enemy on behalf of a distant place. And they saw victory. So it applies to you. There's nothing coming up that can bring you down that God is not able to equip you to stand against. And there's nothing coming against whoever comes to mind when you think about people that are copying it at the moment. Nothing. There is nothing that is more powerful than he. And he is able and willing to make you stand and give you the strength. We're not unaware of the schemes of the devil. 
and we can stand against them. This concept of standing, like I said before, we're not having to run at him. And as we're going to look at the, the armour of God, we may not actually get there tonight, and that's okay. Hopefully it is, is you know, tantalising and it's a beginning, um, well, not necessarily a beginning, but it is something that causes you to go back into this for yourself. Um, but the idea of us taking a stand against the devil is really holding our ground. Jesus won the victory and we are simply enforcing his victory and applying it to a particular circumstance. He's already done that. He's already said, yes, it applies to this. Yes, it applies to that. It applies to you, to you, to you. It's like the Oprah, everyone gets a car kind of moment. Like you get the strength, you get the strength, you get the strength, you get the strength. You get victory over whatever circumstance comes against you at the moment. But he's the one that won it. We don't need to win. And so as we look at the armour that we're given, it is primarily defensive. Because we're not having to go and to take him down because it's Jesus that's taken him down. All right? Even the sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, can be used as a defensive weapon. There is this general thing of defense that we're called to as we look at this. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Is this list sounding a bit familiar? This is a really similar list to what we had back in chapter 1 when talking about how Jesus has been raised far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion. So it starts the same as that. So these things that our struggle is against or our battle is against are the things that Jesus is far above. All right? So it's not about us being intimidated by them. We are aware of them. And you can go either way with this and it happens a lot, but either we can ignore the devil completely and pretend he doesn't exist. And that's unhelpful. Like we're called to be aware of him and his schemes, but we're not to put him up as the greatest, as someone that we are to fear. We don't focus all our energy on the devil. We keep bringing it back to Jesus. We're aware of him and we stand against him. And we are aware from verse 12 that we are not fighting against people. There are people who will be used of Satan, but even someone who is being used by Satan to do Satan's work is not Satan. That person is still made in the image of God. They are still someone who is loved, whom Jesus died for, and whom Jesus longs to bring in as part of his family. You will never lock eyes with an enemy in that sense. A battle is not against people, but it is a spiritual one. And so that thing of the armour we put on, it's not about us preparing for a physical battle. It is us preparing for a spiritual one. We do war in the heavenlies. We do it in prayer. We do it by standing firm, not physically attacking people. I'm pretty sure you're onto that one, but just thought I'd clarify. Um, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, 
against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So it's worth noting that these things are dangerous. It's worth noting that there is power there. We need to acknowledge those things, but we acknowledge that Jesus' power is so much greater. And it's really helpful as we start off verse 13. It doesn't say, for this reason, cower in fear. Or for this reason, be really afraid. For this reason, what are we to do? Take up the full armour of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. It doesn't say, when you see an evil day, put on the armour of God. It tells you to take up the full armour of God so that you are ready for the evil day when it comes. The armour of God is not something we put on when we sense something bad around. We just always wear it. It's who we are. And as we look at the armour, the things that are listed, like righteousness and truth, are things that are gifts from Jesus himself. And we are simply looking to receive what he has for us. I'm about to wrap up. I simply want to look. I'm not going to step through the the armour. For those that are keen, we're going to have some weeks of the Bible study where we get to dig right into this um, and and go harder at it. Uh, Maybe I'll I'll read it through pretty quickly um, and we'll we'll finish up this part. Having prepared everything to take your stand, verse 14, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armour on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all, really important that word all, it's not some, all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Nothing need get through and strike you. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. The word all appears three times in that verse, in this translation. And we are to have that kind of perseverance for Everyone, all right, pray in the spirit at all times. Praying in the spirit, people have sometimes said that's you know, praying in tongues. Paul talks about praying in tongues, he doesn't say praying in tongues, he says pray in the spirit. And so, praying in the spirit, if you're praying in tongues, I would hope that you're praying in the spirit. But praying in the spirit is not limited to praying in tongues, praying in the spirit is simply having your dependence upon the Holy Spirit as you pray which I hope is how we pray all the time. It's just emphasising our reliance and our dependence on the Spirit. Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the Gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. We get in there... As we're talking about the armour, these gospel shoes of peace, we have there this request, pray that I may have the boldness to proclaim the gospel as I should. 
we will be attacked in different ways. But let's not be people who are just attacked as we go about living worldly kinds of lives. We are called to witness to the goodness of God and to proclaim the gospel. And we do that in all sorts of different ways, but we share our faith with people who already know Jesus as well as with people who don't. Because we want to see people walking in the freedom of knowing Jesus and walking in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this thing of taking a stand against the devil includes sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel. Doesn't mean you need to use a microphone, doesn't mean you need to stand up in front of massive groups of people, but it means one-on-one or in small groups or in large groups, whatever, you are bearing witness to the goodness of God and you are showing people the means by which they can be saved. And his name is Jesus and Jesus only. So let's put on the armour. Putting on the armour is receiving Jesus, receiving who he is, letting him live his life through us. I'm going to invite the the band to to come up. Um, I was keen to have some reflecting time on this, um, but I encourage you to do that um, during this coming week. Um, You can definitely pick up one of these books and have a read. There's really helpful stuff in there. Um, And if you'd like to be part of the Ephesians study group, then not this Thursday, but the following Thursday, we're going to go through this just one chapter a week over a six-week period. Uh, We'll use the book as a bit of reference as well. We'll have a chance to dive right in and explore some things together.